I kind of feel like um, I should, at this point, feign death and um, because we've got a couple of great preachers I see sitting in the congregation. You know, surely one of them would take over. Uh, uh, but we'll struggle on. It must, surprisingly, it must be what the Lord intended to happen for me to preach today. Um, and, I, and I love preaching. I love bringing you the word. Um, and this is the last in our series on Luke's Gospel. And I just want to start by reading a little bit from John chapter 20 because it's, it's uh, very similar to, to today's reading. So this is verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said this, after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So I assume that that's a description of the same event. Uh, one, the similarities of the, that they're in a room and Jesus just sort of appears among them. Uh, it, the doors being locked and, the, uh, and they're all shut up and yet that didn't seem to matter. He was just there. Uh, he just came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you to them in both readings and in both readings he showed them his hands. Uh, in Luke it's his hands and feet in, in uh, where the nails had gone through. In John it's his hands and his side where the spear went in. Uh, it's like, it isn't, the, isn't the word a wonderful thing that, that we have two, well we have four different versions which don't disagree with each other, but all of them tell us different things. It just adds to our confidence that this is, that this is written by people who actually saw it happen. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost or a spirit, the ESV says. Um, it, se it, it seems like, it, as in John, he... In Jesus, in his risen form, in his body, wasn't constrained by, by walls and doors. Um, you know, and not surprisingly, you know, you imagine the group gathered there and suddenly there's this person there that wasn't there. Uh, it's no wonder that they were, that, that they were startled and frightened. And, and yet the two who were, who were telling them, the, the disciples, this, uh, you know, they'd only just been... You know, they don't have just been telling the 11 others that, well, we've seen Jesus, he's alive. It's true. And yet, suddenly he's standing there among them and they're startled and frightened. Uh, but saying Jesus is risen from the dead and actually believing it are two different things as we all know ourselves. You know, I, I was uh, very blessed to be born in an age where I, where I was able to, to see all five of our children born. And, uh, you know, I mean, you all know what pregnancy is like. Well, you know what it looks like. The tummy gets bigger and bigger. But somehow you don't, you know, and you know there's a baby in there, but it's still, all, all of our children, every one of them was just as much of a surprise as, as, the, as the first one. You don't, even though you know it's there, you don't believe it until you actually see it. That's kind of what was going on here, I think. 
He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus knows very well what we are like, and we are prone to unbelief, uh, despite all the evidence. You know, the atheist Richard Dawkins said that, said that faith is believing something despite the evidence. But actually, I reckon the opposite is true. We, we are much more prone, well, I am anyway, I know from my own experience, and I suspect that you are the same, that despite the evidence, we still don't believe. So many times in my life, God has answered my prayers in miraculous ways. And yet, each time some new difficulty arises, oh, no, what should we do? Oh, no. I mean, it's been like that with this church. We started off with only a, only a few members, and I thought, well, this isn't going to work. Lord, how can this work? Um, and then each time some minor, you know, we, we got shifted from one building to another because this one wasn't available anymore. Oh, no, this is terrible. We came to this building. Oh, no, someone else is going to buy it before us. But here we are. God keeps doing these wonderful things, but I keep doubting him. Um, I'm trying not to. The apostles were no different. I mean, these people had been with Jesus since the very beginning. They'd seen him... They'd seen him raise other people from the dead. They'd seen him speak to the wind and the waves and they obeyed him. Uh, they saw his glory on the mountain. But here they are still doubting, even with Jesus standing there right in front of them. And even when God does amazing things for us, as he has done for, for me and I'm sure he has for you too, Throughout our life, it seems like he still has to drag us back into, the, into belief all the time. We're sustained by him every minute of our life and without it, we would fall apart. Shelley and I and Joe were blessed this week to, to watch my uncle's funeral. He was uh, buried in, in Esperance. He was 94 you know, had a good long life and he, they just found him sitting in his chair watching TV when he died. And he'd been a missionary in New Guinea for, for uh, 20 odd years, back in, started in the 1950s. And I hadn't seen him for, for 40 years uh, since he went to Western Australia and I hadn't seen his son for, for 20 odd years and I really didn't know where they were at with God or anything. We hadn't had really any communication. Uh, but we were blessed watching the funeral. My cousin finished off the funeral by kneeling before his father's coffin and he thanked God for his dad, for the influence he'd been on his life and then he thanked God for, for saving he himself. He had gone into a very dark place in buying some land and got into deep financial trouble and and he'd cried out to God and God had come and rescued him from it and turned his life around. But, you know, so many funerals that I've been to really don't say very much of any importance, but this one wasn't like that. It was a powerful witness to the power of God and the power of the resurrection. Well, obviously, Jesus' resurrection body was, or is, 
not exactly like ours. He, he can pass through walls and doors and just appear where, wherever he wants to. Um, but he does go to some lengths here in, in this reading to show them that he's not a ghost. He's, he's something apart from that. He's not some sort of apparition that, that can just, you know, that isn't really there. If you touch it, it's not there. Um, he says, look at my hands and my feet, where the nails went through. I, mean, I wonder, were they still in the process, were they in the process of being healed then? Or, or does he still bear those scars now to remind us of what he went through and suffered in our place? You know, in Revelation 5, John sees in his vision a lamb that looking as if it had been slain. And while they still didn't believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Well, despite seeing his hands inside, um, they still, they're still struggling, the disciples, because of joy and amazement, though. It's not, they just can't believe it. You know, it's the old saying, if something's too good to be true, then it probably isn't. But except in this case, it is. It is true. And, and they just can't believe it. Which, you, which you, you know, you would. You would struggle, wouldn't you? And so to build their faith even more, Jesus does this amazing miracle. He eats a piece of fish. Uh, you know, that's just something that ghosts don't do, spirits don't do. And it makes me wonder what, what sort of body do we have after the resurrection? And of course that's the, the very question that, that Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians 15. Will we st still eat fish? I hope so, but I don't know. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. This is what I told you. You know, I told you and I told you, but you just weren't listening. I thought it might be good to go through some, some Old Testament passages because, you know, Jesus says here that that, it, that, that he's fulfilled everything that was written about him in the law of Moses, the, the prophets and the Psalms. You know, we can understand the prophets, but the law? Well, it, of course, the New Testament is, is full of references to how the, the Old Testament tells us about Jesus. Uh, probably the, one of the best known ones is Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. Well, how does that work out. There's, an, there's another interesting little bit in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So not, we can understand the prophets prophesied, that's what prophets do, but the law also prophesied. Uh, I guess a, a, a classic example of that is the laws regarding the, the Passover. You know, when the the angel of death passed through the, the land of Egypt and the people were spared by painting the blood of a, a newly slaughtered lamb 
onto the doorposts and lintels of their house. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So that's the law, not just the prophets, the law is telling us about Jesus and it is fulfilled in Jesus. Romans 10 says that Christ, Jesus Christ is the, the end of the law or the culmination of the law or it can be translated the goal of the law. That's where the law is heading. It's the reason the law was given is to show us Jesus. Well, let's look at a, a few passages from the Old Testament. I mean, there's some really, some of them are really obvious, uh, like Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We, you know, we can see, obviously, that's, that's Jesus on the cross. I mean, all, all these things had, had a meaning for their time as well, but, but they, they are written so that we will see Jesus. And, of course, one of the, uh, the well-known and great ones is from Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. And a bit later on the resurrection in verse 11, after the suffering of his soul he will see the light of life and be satisfied and by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. So that's one of the, I guess one of the more easy ones to interpret but let's have a look at a Another one from Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest. As soon as we see the name Joshua, we should, in the Old Testament, we should think, aha, Jesus, because Jesus is just a Greek form of Joshua. Uh, of course, the other great Joshua in the Old Testament led the people of Israel out of slavery into the Promised Land. A, a great... Um, example there of Jesus fulfilling us because he leads us into the promised land. So he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. So this Joshua, with the same name as, as Jesus, is a type of Jesus. He's there dressed in the filthy clothes of the sins of all the people whose, whose sin he is carrying and it is taken away. And, 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 and in the, we go on to verse 8, it says, Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, 
who are men symbolic of things to come. See, that's telling us in the Old Testament that, that things are coming and these, thing, these things in the Old Testament are just types and symbols of what is going to happen. He says, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. The branch is what Isaiah calls the Messiah. I'll remove the sin of this land in a single day. Psalm 16. Let's go there. This one was quoted by Peter in his speech at Pentecost. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence and eternal pleasures at your right hand. So that one's a prophecy of the resurrection that, that his Holy One will not see decay. He will not stay in the grave. Another one of the resurrection, Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Here's one that's perhaps less obvious. 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath. You know, often when you hear the, that passage preached on, it's preached as a, an example of David's great faith overcoming um, the evil Goliath, the enemy of God. And, uh, and it is that, it is that of course. But much more, if we, if we regard the Old Testament as talking and telling us about Jesus, then David is not, he is not like us. He is the, he is the anointed one. He is the, the Messiah of the time. And so he's not, David's not like us. We are like the army of Israel. We stand there and watch while God's anointed one defeats our enemies. So, so that's how we, we interpret the Old Testament. We see in the Old Testament that, that Jesus has fulfilled that. One more, Daniel chapter 7. This is one for, for finishing off because it's, it's Jesus in his glorified form. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so that brings us back to the, to the, to the resurrection to the, to the, or, or, to, or rather to the ascension where at the end of Luke we're told that when he'd led them out of the vicinity of Bethany he lifted up his hands and blessed them 
And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So if we read on in Luke, in, in, in Acts, which is the continuation of this, we see that the Holy Spirit was poured out and then suddenly the disciples were, were just bursting with wanting to tell everyone about it, what had happened. And if you read some... Look, it's really interesting to read the history of the church for the first 300-odd years where it started with this, this 11 frightened people and within 300 years the entire Roman Empire was Christian. It, there was just so many miracles and amazing things that happened in that time where God uh, protected, encouraged and did powerful things in the presence of, of, of his people. So much so that, it, that outright pagans who worshipped idols had their lives turned around and believed. That's the, that's the God we believe in. That's the only God or all these other gods that, that unfortunate people in this world follow. They can't do anything. They can't they can only leave us rotting in the grave. But our Lord Jesus rose from the dead and he was the firstborn among of the resurrection and because he was raised, we can be confident that we also will know that. We will be raised. We will not, God will not let us see decay.